yeah, welcome here, Atter. It's a true pleasure to to have you here. We I think we've known each other at least uh, virtually for some time, and we've been in the same sphere. It's not a big um, community, I think, of like uh, the more senior AI people in Stockholm. So it's great to have you have you here, and, and fun to hear that you actually had some kind of work recently with um, stock trading as well. What what was that? Uh, well, you know, it's more something that I do privately uh, after work. Uh, you know, when the stock exchange at uh, at Nasdaq opens, I trade with the tech stocks because that's where I have my uh, interest and. Uh, uh, yeah, I buy uh, stocks privately, more investing, uh, but actually starting just, uh, you know, uh, d- do a little bit of trading back and forth just for fun, a mm-hmm. small amount of time uh, to, the, to get a feel for how, uh, how it works. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I invest in uh, a lot of green energy stocks uh, mm-hmm. like Tesla, SolarEdge uh, and other interesting companies with very interesting technology. And typically I look for companies that... Uh, has some kind of artificial intelligence uh, mm. in it. And that's because this is where I feel where I have my edge. I feel that I really can understand and tell if they really have AI or not. Mm. And I guess you use AI yourself to, to do that kind of trading or, or do you do it manually mainly? Um, well, actually, it's it's one of my dream projects. And it's actually not necessarily... Uh, about, uh, you know, trading with stocks, although it's interesting from the point of view that it's something that could help me. But uh, if you look at traditional uh, uh, trading, it's about looking at time series and you want to basically buy and sell. So algorithmic trading, you know, you use the speed of the computer to trade uh, basically on millisecond basis and even a shorter uh, mm. uh, time slots. But what I think is really interesting, so this is for me boring stuff, and making the high frequency trading part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and making money per se is not that interesting either. Uh, I I really like to create things. Uh, I believe in creating value and something that is also positive for uh, people. But what's interesting here, uh, I mean, economics and finance is really uh, one of the important pillars in our society. And uh, before we started the podcast, we also talked about the importance of uh, having more responsible uh, investing. Uh, So it's not uh, only about making money. And to do that, I still think that, I mean, we have seen that human decisions have been catastrophic, uh, causing uh, uh, financial crashes several times. And we might see maybe anytime soon, Mm. right? So we need to have uh, a system that can handle this complexity. And so the way I I look at it is that you need really to understand the micro level. You need to understand how each company performs. You don't want to have evaluations uh, like, uh, you know, that are run very high. Uh, Like there are discussions about Tesla. Is it Mm. overvalued or is it really... uh, uh, correct to uh, to give it this valuation that it has today. Mm. Um, so you have this micro, but you have also the macro that is extremely complicated. You have the politics, you have the economics, and we know that the uh, economics and the financial market are not necessarily connected. You see, like, uh, you know, there are a lot of companies suffering. The economy is not going that well, but you see the stock market is, you know, going mm. very high. 
So uh, there are very complex relationships, and this is the part that I'm interested in. Uh, and that's why uh, I think neither me or anyone else uh, do have such an AI system, and that's why I have nothing to use myself. On the other hand, uh, I think just starting with having you know a, a, an AI system that collects uh, a lot of uh, news articles mm. and data and try to make connections between different events so it really can understand if similar events would happen in the future, mm. it can give you some kind of predict maybe not quantitative but qualitative but it, this is this is ai it could be stuff like knowledge graph technology all the things that helps us connect the dots from micro level to macro level to really understand what is really driving the market and a certain stock i guess this is actually you're really touching on a very deep topic right away uh, cool. beca- because we are now s- suddenly in the uh, uh, in the realm of uh, discussing uh, you know artificial general intelligence uh, or narrow ai yes. in that sense and uh, we all know that we are not there when it comes to artificial general intelligence uh, and there's a lot of discussion about what's the reason what is really uh, missing and there are a lot of experts uh, uh, arguing that uh, deep learning is it's a great progress. I mean, there's no one who can deny uh, the, uh, the problems that has managed to solve. But I think uh, when it comes to reasoning, for instance, uh, you mentioned knowledge graphs. I think it's about time to try to uh, integrate it back. Uh, into the artificial intelligence. Yeah, I mean, like, so we're talking now, ultimately, AI on the one hand and the deep learning and and how we can build models and we can talk about general models like GPT-3 or we can talk about super narrow, but still in the the transformer space or whatever. But how to take that together with an ecosystem thinking to get that together with the knowledge graph system thinking. And maybe that's also how we create more reasoning. Uh, So it's AI in combination, maybe something like this. Is that what you meant? But perhaps before we go yeah. into AGI, because I think that's a very interesting topic in itself, uh, let's just finish up a bit about the, the stock trading part, I would say. C- could you share some perhaps details about you know what system you have today, if you want to, or if you don't want to, um, it's fine as well. But. So actually, so we've been working uh, uh, in, in my research group. So we have uh, recently published uh, a paper at the International conference on artificial intelligence and finance where we uh, uh, developed algorithms to uh, predict uh, the price of portfolio uh, and looking at basically as a time series and we use some kind of you know as all other researchers do nowadays you know put together different architecture of deep learning uh, but it's mainly technical analysis. It's basically using the time series and not like fundamental analysis or these kind of external signals. Or uh, well, I mean, you have the time series of the uh, of the prices, and uh, what you do try to, to model using some kind of a neural network based uh, architecture, taking to count the the time history. So. Uh, it's in that sense, you know, just, you know, straightforward. It's just, you know, how do you augment the data? You have small number of data. How can you extract uh, more information uh, that maybe the state-of-the-art uh, techniques uh, cannot uh, do, etc.? So 
It is, in a sense, uh, simple. And, you know, just trying to take off-the-shelf methodologies, mm. change architecture a little bit. And for the people listening that are a bit technically interested, how would you describe the method that you used? Can you go a bit more into depth in t- what type of architecture and and how it works? Sure. Uh, so it, it is a, uh, it, it's a comp- combination. Uh, we could use LSTM, for instance, and... Uh, Uh, combine it with uh, uh, different uh, tricks uh, that you actually have that is nothing special. And it's really, I wouldn't call it science in that sense. It's really trial and error. But this is just like all the other uh, methodologies that uh, actually get uh, published. The the most uh, intellectual part of it, I would say, is more how we handle the data and is that we combine the data in a nonlinear fashion. So for instance, if you have uh, a vector and you just want to predict if it's going up or down, so you have uh, one or minus one, and then you build another feature vector that takes, for instance, the product of uh, two uh, parallel series and you create another Series. So if you have like minus one, 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 minus one, another one, 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 minus one, you take the product of minus one, 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 etc. Then you have suddenly another new, feature new time series, and you have expanded uh, the the data a little bit. And uh, this, at least based on the data that we tested, seems to be uh, uh, given advantage. So what does it mean? It does mean that you can actually make some nonlinear transformations to extract more information from the uh, data. So in my opinion, this is really where the value is rather than how we played with the architecture. We just, you know, we got it to work. Mm. But I remember I saw some article, I think it was in KDD uh, 2018 or something, and, and they did this kind of AI in finance, and they wanted to evaluate the traditional stock trading Patterns. I think, you know, in, in stock trading, I'm not an expert in this, but they had these kind of weird names for, you know, if it, it goes up and down and then you have a certain pattern and they have this kind of uh, strange name, like the dying, dying swan or the crying baby or whatever it's called. And, and if, it's cert- if it has a certain pattern, then they basically buy or sell in some way. And they want to evaluate if, if that really worked. And they basically came to the conclusion that these kind of pattern is like more or less random or useless. This is very interesting. Are you familiar with the, the mathematician Simons who founded... We actually have money from Paltorion from him, but yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's the founder of uh, this hedge fund. Euclidean. Uh, yeah. That really beat the uh, market every year for the last, I don't know, 20 years or something. And there's a very nice book called The Man Who uh, Solved the Market uh, based on him. So he's uh, he was actually... Uh, a star as a mathematician when he was young and then he quit when he was know, about the age of 30 or something. And what at least what he says is that at that time, the trick that you're describing, this is what worked. They discovered some patterns that w- were repeating themselves. Yeah. And what's actually, I think, what's more interesting is the uh, the story about the, uh, the hedge fund itself because... Uh, it's not open anymore. It's only the employees that can invest. And that's because uh, apparently uh, if they become too big, then they will affect the market. And 
then their algorithms would not work in anymore. So it works a certain amount of uh, money. I don't know if it's like a hundred million dollars or something. So it's not that big. Uh, and if it gets bigger, then uh, they will actually shape the market. They will affect the market. So they will so affect their own patterns. So y- you need to work like uh, I- in the shadow when no one uh, <laughs> is noticing. So this uh, this hedge fund is not uh, uh, public open anymore. for now. Yeah. Uh, he's a certainly interesting person. Cool. But uh, okay, so you had uh, some kind of time series uh, architecture that you had and I guess stacked in some way to build up. Uh, yeah, uh, to, to be frank, I don't remember exactly because we, we tried so many. You just want to disclose it, I, right? I, actually, it's published, <laughs> <Okay>. right? <laughs> so it, okay. it's right there. So if you Google my name, it's recent. I, uh, you will see it uh, on archive, one of the top uh, published uh, archives. Uh, articles mm. uh, so uh, but uh, frankly I don't remember what architectures that uh, were working and I don't want to even like overvalue them because mm. this wasn't really the uh, it happened to work for the tricks that we did uh, mm. with the data mm. on the other hand I can tell you about other uh, things where uh, uh, I experimented myself and uh, again it there is uh, something uh, called, uh, for instance, uh, uh, Brits. Uh, there is a paper actually uh, also called Brits, which is uh, how you can uh, full fill in missing data for uh, a time series. Mm. And this is useful. So you could have a lot of uh, noisy data, so missing values, and you would like to... Uh, uh, fill them in, uh, and this is a very useful uh, method. This is nothing that we done, but this is uh, uh, published. Uh, this was a very uh, useful thing, and uh, using LSTM is actually very useful if you do it the right. So LSTM is very hard to get it to work, but once I mean, if you're stubborn and you uh, try uh, many times, you could get pretty good uh, uh, results. And you were, if you were to redo it today, would you use transformers then, or how would you change it if you were to do it? Today? It would be the next thing to do. Uh, I, I'm not saying that transformers would uh, would work, uh, and it's not a bet either. Uh, and let's remember it's all about how, again, so we know that training uh, deep learning uh, models is a non-convex uh, optimization problem. And this is why we really uh, get different results. So from a really mathematical point of view, LSTM uh, has a more generic model than transformers because it's really taken uh, a finite history in time uh, for... Uh, uh, LSTM, it really ha- it's a dynamical system with states mm-hmm. in it. So the one is a special case of the other. But uh, the difference is that the non-convexity makes it hard to think like I was, I, I usually call it thinking linearly. You cannot, if something does not work th- for a specific set of parameters, it does not mean that it does not work. All we know that if it does work, then we're lucky. But mm. if it does not work, we don't know that it will not work. So that's uh, that's the tr- that's actually very annoying. Also, mm. for us, uh, uh, you know, uh, a researcher uh, who really wants, to, uh, you know, have scientific conclusions, that's very annoying. 
and I get annoyed I about it, all the publications I see uh, nowadays. I think that's an interesting topic of discussion uh, shortly. And, and I know you have a mathematical and control theory background, which is more into trying to find a proper mathematical modeling. And then, you know, machine learning is, uh, machine learning is just this kind of, you know, trial and error with data and <laughs> see what works. And can be a bit frustrating, right? I, I would like to hear those two battle it out <laughs> a little bit. Those two uh, points. But, but, but I, I yeah. think we need to ha- do a, an introduction, Anders. Yes. So who are you? Who's that? Uh, well, uh, my name is Athir Gatami. I have a long academic background. So um, if we, uh, I grew up in Lund, southern Sweden. Uh, I had uh, interest for uh, actually uh, drawing when I was a, a kid. And uh, I basically, uh, you know, math was easy, but I didn't find it fun until maybe I went to sixth grade uh, when I uh, solved problems, you know, faster than the others in my class. And I started to get, uh, you know, to solve problems for higher gr- uh, grades l- uh, later. But So sixth uh, grade, that's like when, ah, math is something that comes a little bit natural. Uh, I mean, it was easy, but it was nothing that I thought about. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I mean, it it was a nice uh, subject because I didn't need to study. I mean, (laughs) it it comes to history. (laughs) I mean, you really needed to read through things. But uh, math. Uh, That's for you. Yeah. Not for all kids. Yeah, math I could sleep in the... (laughs) Uh, in the classroom. So that that was uh, uh, nice. But then actually I got introduced to physics and uh, I, I found it, you know, really. So of course, uh, I think like many of us, uh, 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 you know, it's very easy to like science fiction. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you know, uh, hearing about the, uh, the theory of relativity and you feel like, but this cannot be real. Uh, so science, uh, uh, b- becomes, uh, reality, uh, but it sounds more like, uh, fiction. So that was very interesting. I was interested in space, etc. So you so were the sort of the Stephen Hawking style physics, like the, 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 the I read, yeah, I, I started to read Stephen Hawking at a very early age. Yeah, I so did when did you read his, uh, a brief moment in time? When was your uh, introduction? I th- oh, I think. I think I was uh, 15 or 16. Uh, same for yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, I cannot claim that I understood everything. Uh, there are many things that, uh, oh, this is what he meant <laughs> by that. But it definitely caught my uh, interest. Uh, so that was, you know, so it, it, it switched to physics. So I liked drawing. Uh, but then I thought I wanted to be an architecture because <laughs> also uh, drawing, it has some math in it. But then it was physics, and it was at a time I didn't know if I wanted to be a, a physicist or a mathematician, but was definitely physicist I wanted to be. Uh, but then at high school, I decided to study engineering physics because I thought at least if I want to work... Not only I, academia. Exactly. I can get a job as an engineer. Uh so I ended up uh, having a double degree, one engineering physics and a master's in mathematics. And then uh, I did my master's at Caltech, which was an amazing place. The choice was not random because Caltech, you know, that's where Richard Feynman uh, was mm-hmm. uh, teaching. I already had his uh, uh, books and uh, it had 25% of all Nobel Prize uh, winners in physics in the U.S. So, so, 
So you had a goal. S- exactly. So Caltech <laughs> was the place. Uh, okay. Shortest route to Nobel Prize. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, definitely. I mean, of course. I mean, I cannot deny that this was uh, an ambition, uh, an a ambition. dream, De- a dream. Definitely. That's cool. Um, so, uh, so I did my masters at Caltech and. Uh, I got a little bit disappointed because that's where I saw that most of the research funding comes from the uh, the U.S. defense and American Air Force, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I was at the time working with. Uh, so that was 2003, uh, and I, my research was about uh, uh, UAVs. Unmanned aerial vehicles, so drones, basically drones, but they were not called drones by then. Far, yeah, that was you know uh, long before. What are you talking about here? Nineties, two thousand and three. Two thousand and three, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, you know, it was like it was very clear. It was like military uh, purpose purposes because yeah, you you want to have to have these uh, uh, UAVs flying in. Uh, um, you know, in, in a formation, it's trying to uh, follow a specific target. And like, yeah, why do you want to do that? <laughs> What's the research <laughs> yeah. purpose of this? Uh, oh my God. Exactly. And, you know, it became very clear. Uh, what so was the topic you studied at that time? Was it more control theory? You know, really uh, have to make them yeah, fly it was, Yeah, it was or? automatic control. Uh, you know, uh, as you know, the name is, control theory, automatic control is about autonomous systems. And you want to... Uh, to design uh, these decision algorithms to uh, to achieve a, a specific uh, objective. So you had not got introduced to, to machine learning at that point? Or? No, but actually when I saw, so actually two years, so that was 2003. When I was a student, 2001, there were two books that caught my attention. That was... Uh, um, Russell's and Norvik's book mm-hmm. of artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and uh, Papa Dimitrios' book on optimization. And I knew that I would not be a mathematician, but I liked applied math. And I saw that these were very central. So now it's mm-hmm. now it's converging a little bit like a theoretical maths. I don't see the purpose, but here I also almost see how my maths yeah. and my physics come together of something Precisely. So, so that's optimization. That's what I actually spend a lot of time uh, uh, working with, and uh, artificial intelligence uh, that uh, I saw it was very central. But you know, unfortunately, it was not hot at that time. So it was a bit of a. So, from career point of view, it was not good. But how? Uh, this is a stupid question, but but how how far away is this? What we're talking about here with the the. the uh, the, the, the today toy part of, of, of buying a DJI Mavic Pro and having you know a, your drone that can fly and shoot camera and can and and you, where you want to f- it to follow you is what how much is AI and how much is uh, control systems? Um, so basically, all of these uh, things uh, I would I wouldn't call. I mean, if you have camera, of course you use some pro- probably some tools from machine learning, like tools, ob- ob- object recognition, recognition yeah. object recognition for yeah. sure. Yeah. So if you want to call it, uh, I mean, 
That's a whole other topic. What is AI? Yeah, uh, let's let's uh, leave I mean, that a The short bit. answer is that we don't know because we don't even know what intelligence is, right? Yeah. So uh, I we mean, have many topics here that we have yeah, sent. Yeah. We've spent an hour with some guests on what is AI, what is intelligence. So let's uh, exactly. let's keep so them let's, a little bit. Yes, yeah, leave it because uh, now we're going to get to them, but but in uh, in time. I'm pre- pretty flexible. I mean, whatever. Uh, However you want to define it, it's fine. Just you know what you're talking about. Yeah. So in that sense, yes, uh, the camera object recognition, yes, we can call it. There is some, there, there is a touch of artificial intelligence. Well, it's computer vision, at least. Yeah, exactly. So, but the the uh, the control of the uh, flying object itself, yes, is not artificial intelligence. This this we have known for a long time. It's is based on physical modeling. On the other hand, you could probably use reinforcement learning to improve on these algorithms. For instance, how do they behave? It's windy. To, or to adjust for the wind. Exactly. So probably it's, this is too hard to model, but you can actually uh, have adaptive algorithms. So this is what's called adaptive control is exactly what reinforcement learning is. And now it starts to merge. Exactly. Almost. That is to say the same topic. It's really, I'm remembering. Do you think Kalman filters are AI? Uh, again, so what is AI? I, I think not. Mm. So that's the thing. Uh, this is not the definition. And I'm also v- uh, uh, very careful because I know there are many uh, control theorists who would claim that they do machine learning. Mm. But uh, and me who doesn't have a clue what we're talking about on, on math level, what's the difference, you know, can we contrast control theory with uh, you know deep but, learning you know, theory? Can, let's take that topic. I think uh-huh. it's a separate topic it's in itself. That's very interesting to, to take. Yes, but okay. Sorry. So Caltech and you let's know, move on. I, I like you, it. you heard. I heard that you read the book from Russell's in Norvig, which is I guess the the most popular AI book that we have still today, right? AI a modern approach, right? Yeah. And I know actually in your pod you actually interviewed Russell. Yes, I, I love to hear about that. That's actually a very interesting topic, but. Uh, but let's now let, let's stay the course yes. here so we can so get Caltech. all the way. Let's follow a little bit so yeah, we can have so, these themes. Yeah, so, so I decided to come back to Sweden because then I thought at least the funding is not uh, does not come from the military. And uh, I ended up at uh, uh, the control department in Lund, which is actually belongs to the top five uh, control departments Ooh. in the world. Nice. Why? Because the founder of it, uh, Kolyon Ostrom, he is... Uh, a recipient of the IEEE Medal of Honor, which is basically a Nobel Prize for engineers. So, uh, and I remember even when I was a PhD student, you know, people were showing respect that you did not deserve. <laughs> I mean, they, every, I mean, even people from companies knew it because he has been visiting, etc. So that was, uh, uh, actually, it is an example. If you come from uh, a specific uh, place, uh, where your career could have, a, you know, a completely different course. I mean, you're privileged. I mean, there is uh, no doubt that if you have been to MIT, Stanford, etc., you have a uh, uh, much easier career path. Uh, and now in control, when it comes to uh, at least to Lund University, that was something similar. Because that was really, it was the top control department in Europe, top five. People, in, in, companies, people, in the, yeah. they know. 
Yeah, I mean, I have, so I have, uh, you know, great friends at MIT, Stanford, Cal- I could go anytime and I could probably get, get a guest office, uh, etc. because I still have my uh, connections. So that was uh, a great uh, place to be. And then uh, w- when I uh, finished, I went to MIT uh, as an... Uh, as a researcher and uh, I had funding for four years uh, and this is actually where I discovered uh, that machine learning is coming. I mean, that was really at the time, um, MIT was basically the sole place where you could see this kind of activity and that was 2008. And how, do you, how, what, how was this? Is this before the brain drain or? Uh, uh, that was, yeah, that was before the uh, brain drain, definitely. Uh, so how could you see it? What was the signals? Um, the signals of... That ML is coming, or that is um, getting higher up on the agenda. I mean, it's not like... I, I, I could see this is the future. <laughs> There's things that... Uh, uh, were really really appealing uh, with uh, with the problems they were solving. You mm-hmm. know, it was it wasn't this you know very mathematical because we know that the real world does not work that way. Uh, it, so yeah, I can't explain why, but I thought this is the next uh, hot thing. That was very clear. Uh, I remember the department where. Um, uh, what's called C- uh, CSAIL, uh, Computer Science and Artificial uh, Intelligence Laboratory. We were very close and uh, I got inspired. So when I uh, got back, because I got uh, funding from the Swedish Research Council, so I got four and a half million crowns basically to do whatever I want. Uh, That's and, nice. <laughs> and it was nice. It was it was a bad decision because leaving a, a MIT uh, uh, was a bad decision. I mean, it's really one of the greatest places you can be. It was too early, but so I you had funding at MIT and then you got funding back in Sweden. Is yeah, that what you I mean? Was, yeah. So uh, they lured you with money. It's probably you know because you know for the professor title that was. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, I have to admit that it was you know definitely higher position in the hierarchy than uh, it was at MIT. So you're saying like the interesting place to be and where they're cutting you know MIT in one hand, but here actually the next step. Uh, in in a career or yeah, there are many yeah, there, and this is really w- one thing and uh, other things that I felt a little bit homesick. Yeah, uh, yeah, but that's important to uh, to recognize. It's, it's important, but that was stupid. I mean, if I would look <laughs> back, that was I was I was young and stupid. Uh, yeah. That's for sure. Um, but at the same time, I thought, okay, I go back, I bring this knowledge. I wanted really to uh, build a strong research group, you know, put yeah, yeah. Sweden in the map when it comes to great uh, vision as well. Uh, th- th- these fields, unfortunately, uh, in Sweden, we don't have the environment where you can be that visionary and definitely not start something new uh, and uh, without uh, giving, you know. Uh, names. Uh, there was uh, a colleague that really trying, you know, making fun of machine learning and this is this and this is that. Uh, and what happens now? The same, uh, the same professor goes and calls himself, uh, uh, I, I don't know, machine learning expert or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, which is really uh, uh, silly. Um, 
and that's that's the problem. So that's really we probably now touching on the topic. I mean, why Sweden is behind. Uh, I would say there's one other reason that uh, people do not see it. We have uh, a culture where uh, risk taking is not promoted, and people are happy with the stuff that they do. They publish their uh, papers uh, every year, and um, that's it. And that was not interesting to me. Just uh, producing uh, ink on paper felt extremely unsatisfactory. I really, I really ask myself, what is my contribution to the world? But could you then contrast that with the culture and how MIT, what the feeling and how it, the vibe at MIT to this? Uh, it's you cannot compare it. I mean, see, like the professors, completely different energy, completely different devotion to the topic they're teaching. The students uh, uh, all really target uh, the hard problems. Uh, in Sweden, we target problems that we hopefully can solve. Doesn't matter how important they are. So it's more like paper counting. Uh, no, so you cannot compare. I mean, the environment. I mean, we have you have these recipients of all prizes. You know, von Neumann Prize. You have the future Nobel uh, Prize winner in economics. You have. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. But still, you know, okay, so you went to a big um, university in Sweden, uh, KTH, which is not to be sneezed at at least, right? Or? Uh, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> you went from MIT and got back yeah. to Stockholm and, and KTH, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, if you try to still compare a bit, you know, the, the type of university, like top universities like MIT to Swedish universities, um, I, I guess, as you say, of course, it's a different level of quality, um, which is un undoubtable. But still, would you say there are some merits to, to the Swedish educational system that still um, is good? Mm. I mean, it is unfair to compare. I mean, if you compare the Swedish educational system with the American, because the, uh, the American educational system is not MIT. Mm. It's not Stanford. I mean, they have many universities, yeah. and it's actually few that are really uh, star universities. So I think, on average, we're definitely uh, better. I would claim, and I actually have not. Uh, uh, it's not based on facts. Mm. It's just uh, a guess. Um, so in that sense, talking about Swedish university, but if I really compare to universities like MIT, Stanford, Caltech, Berkeley. I mean, there is no doubt that uh, there is no competition. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting topic in itself and how Sweden can start to accelerate the AI understanding and adoption in, in Sweden and, and Europe. But let's uh, try to move on a bit about your interesting career as well. So, so you came back to Stockholm and you started working as an, was it an assistant professor in yes. KTH? Yeah. Yeah. And what was your field of topic at, at that time? Um, so at that time, I was trying to merge decision theory uh, with information theory, and I was getting into uh, machine learning. And that's typically how you do it if you want to uh, to do research in a new field. You basically do it in your spare time. Uh, and uh, during that time, uh, I was uh, working with decision theory, information theory, and all these things. You know, these tools are very close to each other, mm. but uh, I never like really did pure machine learning uh, research. It took me about, I think, five years 
before uh, I was able really to produce um, uh, my own uh, research output uh, in the field. But my background, on the other hand, like reinforcement learning, my background helps a lot. Mm. So I have uh, really extended some of the work that I've done before uh, to, uh, to machine learning. So I've been working with so-called multi-objective problems because in real life, uh, you don't have just one thing that you want to achieve. You need to take into account other things. So if you are uh, flying an airplane, it's not only about uh, uh, takeoff and landing, but you need to make sure you optimize your fuel. You don't want to crash. You don't want to have too much turbulence, etc. cetera. Um, so you have multiple objectives. And uh, this I have been uh, very uh, active and uh, had maybe the most generic results uh, in in the uh, in the field, and this is what what I try to uh, expand and take to the machine learning community, reinforcement learning, which is really uh, very similar. Mm. And you worked at KTH for quite some time, right? Uh, a number of years at least. Yeah, three years and a half, I think. And how did you? get out, if, if you would call it that? Or how did you move into industry? What was that story? Um, so I got in touch with Ericsson Research and they were uh, just starting doing research uh, within 5G, the fifth uh, generation communication system, which is finally out there. Yeah. So actually I started uh, with it early. So I'm one of the main uh, architects uh, of uh, 5G network for Ericsson. So the, actually it's record-breaking number of uh, inventors uh, for the 5G network architecture uh, patent, 130. So mm. that's... Uh, yeah, I've seen it. You have that patent. It's yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah, so that's, that's a, a, a record, at least within the telecom uh, so you have field. So you have filed 130 patents around 5G or Ericsson? No, actually, I'm one of 130. One of one. We have 130 inventors because, you know, the 5G network is yeah, big, yeah, yeah. Uh, the architecture. So, uh, and this is a record number of inventors per patent. Mm. Uh, from a financial point of view, it's not good because you don't get any money out of it <laughs> because you need to share <laughs> the money with all the inventors. But... Uh, uh, okay, uh, no, I understood. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that big was... Big team. Yeah, so that was fun. So, the, so the research. Uh, so, I had a very nice research position, and after two years and a half, um, we were basically done with the research part. Uh, the next step would be standardization, and this was not as fun. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I got uh, a couple of offers. I got an offer from Samsung. It was really, really great. Uh, then I would uh, move to uh, Seoul in South mm. Korea. I actually live in uh, Gangnam, and I, th- I think it oh. was uh, it would be a nice experience. But then, actually, I got another offer from. Uh, a company, a startup that uh, was founded by one of my former uh, colleagues, a professor at MIT, uh, which I know pretty well. And uh, I was recruited. I worked with them for a while, but we were supposed to have an office in Stockholm, but uh, I had to commute to Boston basically one week uh, every month, uh, which makes me jet lagged like... uh, Yeah. Three week, uh, three weeks a month. Uh, it was not worth it, so I decided to start my own company in uh, in Stockholm. And that was the 
Bit dynamics. Bit dynamics. Yes. So as you, you you hear, it's really related to my background. I've been working with dynamical systems. I work in work with information uh, technology. So it's bit and dynamics put together to be bit dynamics. So that's uh, uh, the story. Cool. And actually, we uh, we did the pretty fun stuff. We uh, started to build recommendation systems, and uh, we had. Uh, Can you mention some techniques? It some is customers. Fun yeah. So. Um, uh, what we did is uh, we use both uh, uh, deep learning. Uh, so basically, just to give you an example, if you have if you if you have attributes, you're a person, you're a, a man or a woman within a certain age. You order something within a certain time, a certain day of the week, a certain day of the month. All these things. Uh, and you try to predict what's the uh, next item that they would like to uh, purchase. So more of a content-based, not a collaborative filtering type? It is collaborative filtering because what we do is that we it's clustered, right? So what I mentioned to you is not, it's not only personal. It could be any cluster of people of the same age, and uh, but even take into account geographical area where they live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was that uh, even using these kind of fact, uh, factorization machine type type of techniques, or was that too early for? Well, actually, th- when it comes to uh, um, uh, what do you call it, low rank matrix factorization, uh, we did not use it for a simple reason. Uh, the problem is in general very hard, so it's an NP hard problem. So mat- um, th- this low rank matrix completion is. Uh, very hard so i avoided that uh, instead we uh, were relying either on deep learning or gradient boosting the decision uh, trees mm-hmm. who actually perform better than deep learning this is an example where uh, deep learning is not uh, the best tool to for, use. For, for the actual data problem you had uh, yeah for the actual uh, data definitely definitely so uh, what we tried this was uh, the the better tool was it like SVD kind of things, or, or what type of factorization did you make use of then? Uh, we did not uh, make any factorizations, ah, right? Okay. Because uh, because I mentioned, I, I I don't think it's the the right tool. Uh, I definitely think that uh, deep uh, learning is a better tool, but in, in in our case, even gradient boosting decision trees mm. uh, was even okay. better. So. Ah, I see. So that was fun, but what happened uh, actually uh, recently, two years ago, um, one of the guys who w- was helping me with the sales uh, at BitDynamics, uh, he has uh, uh, diabetes. And when he heard me explaining to him about this recommendation system, he thought, but couldn't one just build a system to help people with diabetes to predict their, uh, uh, you know, uh, blood sugar and uh, help them? Because he feel this is what he does every day. Trying to figure out if I'm high or low, if going low. Exactly. And this is based on recommendation system. So actually I decided to, uh, although I had a customer, uh, et cetera, and uh, it was going well, uh, no, no venture capital. We were self-reliant. Uh, uh, decided to uh, put BitDynamics on hold, and we founded AIBetic. So if you go to mm-hmm. AIBetic.com, uh, which is uh, uh, a really, really interesting company, we have been working on it for two years, and a release uh, is planned for February. Oh, really? uh, uh, 
So this is an example. Recommend assistance for dia- diabetics. This is an example uh, where the cause was much more important. Helping companies to make money. I like the mathematical problem, but the the purpose is not as exciting. Yeah, but this is cool. But helping people, you know, to uh, have control over their life and be able to control their diabetes was much more attractive. So, uh, so this is uh, yeah, diabetic. Yeah. So uh, as you diabetic, like diabetic. And uh, yeah, yeah. with AI, yeah. and yeah, what, what, and without giving the whole idea away, but what's the it like an app or something you use? It's an app. I mean, the basic problem. So for it, uh, yeah. so I learned a lot about the diabetes because yeah. uh, of this. First of all, the problem is enormous. I mean, nine percent of the Americans have diabetes in Sweden. Is about I think seven percent, and it's growing exponentially. Unfortunately, unfortunately. Uh, so the the problem is that you want to control uh, uh, the amount of uh, glucose, like the uh, the sugar in your blood, yep. and uh, people with diabetes, whether it's type one where you cannot produce insulin at all, or type two where you have uh, uh, a malfunctioning uh, production. Uh, you want to keep the the curve within uh, certain bounds, exactly mm. upper and lower bounds, and when it goes over and under, not only you 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 don't feel good, but actually it, it harms uh, your body organs. Body organ. I mean, it could lead to that you get blind. It could lead that you need to amputate an arm or a leg, etc. So it's really, really. Uh, uh, tough in many ways. You, you, your uh, life uh, gets shorter, etc. So, if you're low, you eat sugar. If you're high, you have insulin. L- like that's how you exactly that's how you manage exactly. it. Exactly. And manually. If, if you're low, you want to have sugar, but you want to have the right amount, not too much. Despite you, you don't want you want to take you know all these uh, you know uh, shots uh, you know many times a day, uh, etc. So you you want to live your life as normal as, as balanced as possible. Uh, possible. And this is time series, right? Mm. So this time series problem. And what what do you want to do? You want to predict these peaks mm. in advance. And you learn. So we ask the users to uh, interact uh, with the app. Uh, you know, take picture, object recognition of their food, and uh, haven't as features to try to uh, uh, predict. So, so how do, how do you work as a user of the app? Do you basically when you eat, you take a picture of it, and exactly, then it predicts the the amount of calories. For exactly. It? Yeah. And then you put it in, and then uh, use reinforcement learning to uh, to learn. Okay, what do you recommend? Okay, your blood sugar is low. Okay, you eat a banana uh, uh, to compensate. And and of course yeah. you can you collect data from the patient, you know, from the user. Also, how do you feel? Or now I'm low, so you can also get results on you know you did this and you felt like this in two hours exactly exactly you can really see what's happening you can follow and hopefully these thing uh, this data can also be provided to your doctor so to be part of your journal mm-hmm. uh, very interesting and, yeah and this is actually something that is missing and there's a big need uh, of it and uh, we definitely think that uh, we uh, we are doing the the right thing, and uh, this this is really something that uh, I strongly believe in. So this this has been uh, taking a lot of my time in the evenings and uh, weekends, and um, 
there is another company which is really completely different. Uh, it it's you know I want to solve my own problems, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think this is something that you guys would uh, recognize. Uh, it's um, w- so if you want uh, that we meet, okay, in a play, we email back and forth or text back and forth. I can guess where this going, right? Okay, good, yeah. You want to do this automatically, yeah. And this is you know why I came up with. Uh, uh, organize and it's organize.se with AI. Organize. Oh, organize. It comes organize because you want, we want to organize people.se. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we want to organize people's lives. And to start with, we want to make this, uh, you know, uh, booking to be uh, very quick. So we use NLP. So this actually, this is interesting because. Just the problem of uh, try to understand uh, a query that you want to book a meeting with a person at a certain time, certain place, etc. There's so many ways in expressing that that there's nothing that you can take off the shelf. So you've been working on this for over a year, modeling. So this is really one of our uh, uh, you know I, 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 IP, IPRs uh, in that sense. And um, uh, you just type uh, something. Actually, there is a video you can see. uh, uh, It demonstrates what you can do. And once you type it, it looks in in our calendars automatically and finds common slots. If you give it the freedom to book it automatically, you don't need to interact. It does it your... uh, Or you get suggestions. Or you can choose that you have to make the decision yourself. Yeah. So this is actually, this is what I wanted because I thought such a waste of time. You want to do stuff. I mean, we're uh, we're having dinner with friends. The same thing, all the discussions about time. You drop this in a large enterprise and you can have a, you know, a business case calculation. Easy. I mean, um, we've received uh, uh, a positive response from many people. Actually, I have been uh, the uh, venture capitalist in the sense I have risked my own money and we took uh, also a loan from Almi. Uh, that's because I didn't want to have a, a venture capitalist at, as early as early this uh, stage. But for the spring, hopefully, uh, I think we uh, we will uh, go for uh, larger Plus funding uh, for round. market. I mean, like when you need to put the engine on top. I mean, I mean, we have the, we have the basics. We are now currently building the uh, the app, the front end, etc. So we will have actually something uh, working. But there are many more functionalities that we would like to have. That's for sure. So you you demonstrate this is working now. But have a look at this roadmap. How cool this could exactly. be. Exactly, exactly. And we want to show them. Okay, actually, we can do this all you need you, you give us money not to realize uh, a vision no the vision is already here you give us money to uh, to, to go all the way to scale up uh, so again i'm not that much into just you know raising money you know trying to be big right away let's solve the problem first ourselves have uh, something uh, working and then we can go you know uh, with and here we have another topic should you bootstrap or should you get venture capital do you sell stories or do you sell value yeah. that's it I, I like selling value that, that's the thing uh, i don't want to uh, like you sound like oh i want to uh, trick investors uh, on money just because I can. No, look, I actually, I have taken risks myself. I have spent money on it myself, my time and actually money. 
that I put in the uh, the company. So I was willing taking the risk, and we we didn't make it happen. So just join the journey. But so you've been keeping really busy, and at the same time, there is another part here. We we, we you know if we want to go there, uh, you you are running a, a successful podcast as well. Perhaps, oh, thank you. You know, we still have a career to finish, and, and I'd just is, like to add as well. Is that not part of the career? That's not a well, career. Uh, <laughs> before we finish with the org, org I, organize, 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 organize. That's a. I mean, um, it's certainly. I, I guess the, the main part is really to to give some kind of natural language input, and then find a schedule that, or a booking that that suits someone. And there is another small company called Google that did this kind of duplex thing. I'm not sure if you've seen it. What do you think about it? It's a lot of controversy if it's actually fake or real, and you know, it's been some part of it's deployed. But um, I've, what's your thought about duplex? Um, I mean, it's very interesting. If it really worked, then that was uh, a very nice example. I I have no reason to doubt that is not real. I think such a big company uh, they wouldn't uh, fake. Uh, fake. I don't. I mean, I don't think so. But anything could happen. Mm-hmm. So actually, I never thought about that this could be fake. Mm. I just, you know, I bought the news right away. So it's definitely, it's very interesting, but it does not mean that uh, we are really close to artificial uh, general intelligence. Definitely not. Uh, For people who don't uh, know it, there is a famous video, I think at least two or three years ago, where they basically uh, let the, the Google Assistant basically, or the Home Assistant that you have, make a booking at a restaurant and the only thing you say to the assistant is basically, you know, I want to get, uh, yeah, get dinner at some point next week. Please, you know, make a booking and then make the, the call and everything. This is next, this is our vision. So mm-hmm. this is where we want to go also. Okay. Yeah. So uh, um, without sounding too uh, cocky, we definitely want to be competitors to uh, uh, Alexa and Google Home, etc. cetera. Uh, but Couldn't you integrate with them simply? Think. We could, but maybe we don't want to. Uh, okay. It's a, I mean, and we shouldn't be afraid. I mean, we have seen like Instagram how it really challenged Facebook, uh, mm-hmm. and it's really it's more successful than uh, uh, Facebook. So there is, you just need to find the right thing. What mm-hmm. can you really solve better? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, even a company like uh, Amazon. Yes, they have a lot of money, but they have so many problems to solve, so many focus areas. So at the end of the day, to do something really good, they need to find an excellent team. Mm. And now, okay, this excellent team, where should we use it? Should we use it to solve this problem or do we have more important problems? I think they go to the more important problems. Mm. So that's why... uh, uh, I'm never scared of that a big company could come and do this and do that because they need to to do the same work to put this team together. And, and I, I think I guess, that's the hard part. I guess that's why Google says, you know, they're not afraid about other enterprises like Apple or uh, Amazon. What they're really afraid about is small startups that super come up sharp with the small thing. innovative ideas. Yeah. And I think that's so true. Okay, and before we move to AI pod, uh, iPod, uh, perhaps we you now work at Rice, right? True. So, how was that story? How did you get started at Rice? And what is Rice, by the way? Um, so, Rice stands for uh, Research Institutes of Sweden, and it's actually a new entity. It was uh, the government's uh, uh, attempt to collect the research institutes in Sweden, 
And when I joined, uh, I joined the so-called SIX, Swedish Institute of Computer Science. And this was uh, actually a very successful uh, institute, uh, very well known uh, since the 80s. So RISE uh, was uh, official, I think, in 2018. And uh, I got recruited because they wanted to have uh, some kind of um, more uh, research emphasis on artificial intelligence. So I was uh, one of the core team, uh, so to say, and I'm still like one of the core uh, people. So is this full time, 50% or how does that work? I started part time, uh, but then they they want to have uh, have me there more because I did other things like the uh, AI uh, conference uh, called AI Day. Uh, and it's what we were supposed to have it in April, and it's like we had amazing speakers. Unfortunately, because of uh, COVID nineteen, we had to uh, cancel it. And uh, the way I see it is that I think I'm gonna go back to working part time now because uh, not much is uh, happening. Uh, we'll see. Uh, so basically, I was very excited uh, at the time. Uh, to join and build some kind of AI center. Uh, it was very early at the time. There was nothing, basically. And 2018, yeah. Yeah, it's actually 2017. 17, already, yeah. Already. Uh, but now it's uh, seeing more things uh, happening. Now I've been uh, at RISE for uh, three years. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And in short, RISE is a big like Swedish research institute with like two plus thousand people or something. Yeah, I think, it's, yeah, uh, I think many fields as well. 3,000 people, yeah. 3, many yeah. fields, definitely, yeah. It's, uh, it's big. Mm. Uh, but but uh, we need to spend more money in order. If you really want to uh, uh, build uh, a research group within artificial intelligence with impact, you need to spend more money. That's for sure. On, on research as a whole, or what would your advice to Rice be to to get you know more progress in AI? Oh, you you, you need to have money. You, you need to have you know more uh, people projects. I mean, with with money, you can recruit people. That's the thing, uh, and uh, give people the freedom to do uh, research, uh, which is more uh, open research and uh, to do that, you need to have uh, you know real experts, role models who do a good research. Yeah, it is, it's, it's on, not only about more resources, but the right resources and the balance of getting the fresh talent in but having some real role models to yeah. mentorship to you accelerate to, the breadth. You need to realize how hard this is. Yes. When I say more resources, you need to realize that, uh, for instance, at Caltech, I was visiting my uh, supervisor at the time. We have good relationships. I visit him basically every year. And uh, w- what he said that I think it was Uber, who was opening a research lab just outside Pasadena. So that's where <laughs> Caltech is. Nice. And that, and that was, I mean, Caltech, MIT, they pay high salaries, higher than, I think the only university in the world that can match that is ETH, ETH in Zurich. Uh, and they felt like, uh, but there, I mean, this battle is lost. There is no way we can match Uber. 
I mean, they pay four times the salary they pay a professor at Caltech. So what say what we can offer them at least that they work part time, say fifty percent at Uber, and they work fifty percent at Caltech without having to teach. Mm. Mm. I mean, many researchers they don't like teaching. Interesting model, this. Yeah. So they said at least this is one way to still uh, keep them. If you can't beat them, join them. Yeah, it's like yeah. I mean, so the, <laughs> this is the only. Th- this is the only way. And this is something that uh, I think in Sweden, we have not realized that. I mean, not me. I, th- I think we have realized that uh, around this table, but uh, at companies, at uh, universities or research institutes, they, they haven't realized that it's very easy. I mean, I, I mean, last time, the last offer I got really, it w- uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't a good offer in that sense. But just the last offer I got was two hundred thousand uh, or two hundred fifty thousand crowns a, a month as a salary. Uh, that's that's not matched by any university here in Sweden, not any close. Uh, so, so we need to realize that this is a different business. And you think the, to avoid the brain drain that we're seeing from academia, which is happening certainly in US at least, and partly I think in Europe as well. One way could be to have this kind of hybrid solution, you think, or what's? It could be. Uh, uh, definitely, you need to open for paying a higher salaries. Uh, that's uh, one thing. I mean, we talk about if you want to recruit uh, stars. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen uh, here uh, in Sweden because you really need. I think the government needs to come and say, "Okay, this is the money. Hire people." pay a salary of at least X crowns a, a month, really enforcing uh, universities and research institutes to, to, uh, to invest uh, in people. I think that's the only uh, way. But now how do we get the politicians to understand? I know I understand you are actually uh, in uh, Politics, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. In this context, I know I have uh, I have also colleagues uh, who are who are in this context, and the information I get that it's not happening. It's all like we have getting we've been getting promises for three years, but nothing is happening, and we are just uh, behind. So true. Cool. And uh, let's move into AI podden, as we say in Swedish. Yeah, and by the way, is that part of the career or is that just a pet project? Let's tell us about Oipod, how it came about. I see it as a one of the career moves. Sure, sure. I can tell you the... Because uh, it's before Rice, I guess. I tell you exactly. I tell you the story. Uh, so I started to write articles for the Huffington... So first I started to write uh, an article for Dagens Media, mm. uh, which, I mean, I have a very good relationship with the guys. But they basically, they, I didn't get any attention. So I don't think we even got a response. Uh, then I wrote to the Huffington Post, or from Swedish to uh, English. And that was published. And uh, I published, I think, uh, four articles about AI in the Huffington Post. And then Dongus Media picked it up. <laughs> paid attention. Like, <laughs> okay. And then you could I, have had me first. Exactly. So, <laughs> so I think I, I wrote, uh, uh, you know, I became a columnist uh, almost, and you know, I wrote a couple of times and uh, 
not that, you know, had specific uh, writings about AI for recommendation systems, etc. And at that time, the uh, the managing uh, editor Niklas Rieslund uh, <coughs> asked me. Uh, would you be interested in uh, making a podcast about AI? I remember we had lunch and uh, I think he wanted to see what kind of person I am. So he's a crazy person. Is a person that really could pull this off. And uh, I thought, uh, well, that's actually interesting. I've ne- never uh, listened to any podcast <laughs> before. Actually, I just you know, heard about it. it I so know 2017, this exactly. uh, lunch takes Ex- place. Exactly. It was, I think, uh, August or September, something like that. Um, and yeah, so I thought, oh, this, this is fun. But then I went home. So I told him, yes. But then when it got closer, I started to regret the decision. <laughs> But I felt like, okay, I, I said yes. I mean, it would be just childish just to say, no, I changed my mind. So I said, okay, I can do it for a season and let's see what happens. Uh, most likely I will not continue. And it started very simple. You know, I started with, uh, you know, my laptop. I didn't know how to record. I got some uh, help from uh, people, uh, say, oh, you can use GarageBand uh, on your Mac. And and they bought me a couple of microphones. Actually, we borrowed uh, Borrow to start back. with. And, uh, yeah, it was terrible. If you would listen to the first five episodes. I'm going to do that now. I mean, it's really, uh, at least I'm picky. I mean, you can you can hear the, the noise. And, uh, yeah, I was doing that. I never done it, uh, in, you know, not even once in my life. Uh, I thought it was terrible. So uh, I told them, but I'm not, I'm not trained to do this. I mean, I needed to have feedback. I need help with this. Uh, you helped me to do this. I'm not uh, cutting the episode. You, you do this. And actually I got help uh, and I'm working with these guys uh, to this day. Uh it's been a great relationship, but yeah, so we start and, uh, you know, they published, uh, the, the first episode at Doggins Media and they told me that, uh, this has been the most read article, uh, for the, uh, the week and did a lot of feedback. Congratulations. Excellent. Oh, nice. like, what? Are they kidding me? It's like, yeah, uh, <laughs> nice. uh, yeah, I thought that, uh, uh, they were just trying to be nice, but uh, I realized, okay, this was well uh, received. That's nice. Uh, what really surprised me is that it it wasn't hard to get the so-called hot shots. So from when I started, it I, okay, it was at the time I want to make uh, uh, AI popular to make the industry aware. So I thought I invite uh, people from the industry who are starting to do something, even if it's something small, just to inspire people. Um, and uh, yeah, people were really uh, positive. And, you know, I got CEOs, uh, etc. People 
Really is that the, the premier type of guest, or is CEOs the, the best type of type of guest? That was that was. This is what I thought because yeah. uh, I thought uh, people would pay attention to people uh, at high positions. Mm. Uh, and uh, one of the first episodes was with the Nordnet's uh, right. uh, CEO at the time, um, and I think the trick worked. That's for sure. And then I started to move. So it was really CEOs or CTOs, something like, or CIO. or. Uh, but then started to move uh, toward... But actually, I also had a professor, uh, Thomas Kwan, was also one of yeah. my first... Uh, uh, oh, he's a good person. Yeah. So, uh, so I tried to do a mix uh, and then started to move away from the CEO thing or CXO and more talk to expert. And then I mixed and uh, all of a sudden, you know, when uh, the director of engineering of uh, Airbnb uh, uh, was in Europe uh, and they typically do uh, marketing in different countries and the Nordics, they had to pick, they had just one interview for the Nordics. And they picked uh, iPod then. Yeah, uh, so they, they I, actually, I had, they set, saw, saw they, Exactly. That's they, super cool. They reached out. They said, yeah, so we have... Uh, this uh, and this. Yeah, so we would uh, suggest uh, our director of engineering, who was great. I mean, you can see this is smart, smart guy. He shared really interesting... Professional, oh, yeah, media he, trained. It was so <laughs> nice to talk to him. Uh, and uh, uh, he had, uh, you know, a very interesting, uh, you know... Uh, cases to talk about within AI. Um, yeah, and it has, then it has been very easy. Like I had three ministers in, uh, in Sweden. I had like uh, uh, stars like uh, uh, Russell and... Uh, yeah, can't you tell us tell, something tell us about, about the one of the stories. biggest uh, stars cool. in AI? Yeah, and actually even other people I was very close to have, uh, Benjio, but was at the time, you know, when he received... Uh, uh, his Turing uh, award, it was too much attention. And uh, yeah, he was, he really, he was very uh, polite and apologized. I said, yeah, it's been, I need to do some research. And as I <laughs> researched it, I, I could, I could really uh, respect uh, his feelings. So, uh, no, so it's, uh, so it's been uh, really nice. So what, what has, uh, what has happened is that uh, I have become more uh, uh, picky in that sense. So before it was every Thursday. Now uh, this uh, this year, uh, because of COVID partially, I think uh, it has been very sporadic. Basically, if there is an excellent uh, guest... Uh, then uh, I do it. And I've, I have not been active myself. Uh, I think partially because I felt that I didn't want it to do it as often as I did before. Um, Use for the sheer you know, commitment to have time for it. Yeah, I mean, you need, it's not, I mean, to be, to be honest, it's not that it's a lot of time. Uh, because I have a studio and the guys, you know, do all this thing. But you need, you know, to email a bit before and uh, you meet. And it, it takes some time and suddenly, you know, half a day is, is lost. Uh, for many people would think, yeah, but this is an, a very productive day, uh, which is. But 
I'm not a podcaster. It's not my career. It's not like I want to be Joe Rogan. <laughs> Just take an example. Uh, it's really, uh, it's it's really uh, a lot of fun, but there is, for instance, I think uh, uh, there are more international forecasts who are more privileged. So if you are in the U.S., if you are at MIT, like. Uh, there is this uh, Lex Friedman, Lex Friedman, which is not AI podcast. Now it's more general. Uh, At least nowadays. Right? Yeah, nowadays, yeah, it is. yeah. But I think he moved. It could be that he's not allowed to use the name of MIT anymore uh, because his podcast is private. MIT has its own podcast. Uh, so when he was using it, you know, using MIT, and he's at MIT. I've been at MIT, mm-hmm. and I can tell you, the stars I had. Uh, so I was, uh, my host was at the time director of uh, Lids, the Lab for Information Decision Systems. That's where Gallagher was, if you know, like after Shannon Information Theory, probably. And you had all these famous economists and physicists, you know, he knew everyone. And I was in this big office. There were two uh, other desks available and they were share o- sharing office with me. I did not need to leave the office to meet the stars. They came to my office. They did not come to me, but they came to. N- the but nevertheless, office. they were in my office. Same coffee machine. <laughs> I mean, not even that. I mean, I went to buy do- uh, to buy donuts, and uh, you know, uh, I gave them uh, donuts, and uh, we talked, and uh, it, it was a huge uh, privilege. So. So you mean that uh, Lex and others have a big um, advantage here? They no, have it is. I mean, I mean, to find the great stars for the pod, they come. They come to MIT. You just have. Uh, so you, if you're really intelligent uh, enough and know how to deal uh, with people, you can easily invite them over. Just say we can uh, talk uh, a little bit, and you can start with people at MIT. That's good enough, enough. start. And you said, look, these are my guests. And you are at MIT. I mean, you have your MIT name in it. And that's it. So in, in that sense, it's, uh, it's extremely hard to compete. Now, if you want, so, so now that you need to, to think, uh, what are my ambitions? Is it like, is it like the, uh, the AI podcast in Sweden? Or do, do I want to expand? Of course I want to expand. That's, uh, I mean, if you do not aim higher, you just, you know, there is no further development. So in that sense, I thought, okay, this, this is fun. This is nice. I do. If there's some interesting, uh, really interesting guest, I do it, but it's not going to be my uh, career. Actually, I've been, you know, many people told, oh, you, you could really make this very big, this and that. And we actually, we have seen uh, that if you just invest small amount of money you know in social media you get so many so much more listeners mm. like if i just in a, in a seminar if i just mention my podcast and you have like uh, 100 people sitting suddenly it's like one of the top uh, podcasts on uh, uh, spotify or uh, whatever in sweden uh, mm. so so y- you could do that if you want but it's not really my ambition Cool. And uh, before we continue, I mean, Stuart Rush- Russell is, of course, one of the biggest stars in AI in uh, 
can you share some kind of you know what was the experience of interviewing him and how did you get him hmm. um so first of all so he's at berkeley and i know a lot of people who are actually sitting in the same corridor as him and uh, was also co-authored books and uh, i think i just sent him an email and uh, yeah i think i explained uh, that we had some connection actually i don't remember i really need to uh, look through the email but i think it's possible that i wrote that we uh, we have you know some people in common or something and uh, he was very kind uh, um he uh, he said yes i think i asked him maybe in december and we had a recording in january something like that he was very very kind uh, uh we had you know real real scientific we uh I think there was some stuff that we did not really agree on, uh, mm-hmm. but I wasn't trying to push it because I don't push as uh, you probably feel the same. Uh, we want to push, but yeah. we we haven't been so successful to push hard. Yeah, it's because it's a nice conversation, and you don't want to ruin it. Exactly, that's exactly. And at the end of the day, it's not my opinion that is important. I want to hear his opinion. But you so, must share some example. What didn't you agree with him on? Uh, so actually, this uh, going back to my research field about multi objective uh, uh, reinforcement learning for instance because uh, he he wrote this book human compatible and he's doing research about how to make sure that uh, AI is aligned with uh, the human interest and uh, my suggestion was that yeah but you need really to have multiple objectives and what he meant is that Uh, even if you have multiple objectives maybe it would prefer one objective over the other you know and then try to goes back to fulfill the other objective and then it's too late uh, i understand the philosophical reasoning but i'm not convinced he thought that it would be much better to have uncertainty uh, in uh, in in the task that the ai performs so what does it mean the uncertainty is that the ai does not know anything so it need to learn a little bit from how the humans have done things before so even if it decides to bomb uh, a city it will probably not repeat it and bomb another city because it's uh, no, this is bad it goes back because there's uncertainty it's not certain it will never be certain about bombing this city is the way to save uh, humankind so this is what he thought and actually i read this the papers uh, and uh, i see where he's coming from but i still think that i mean if i think that this is this is an, an objective that you should not destroy uh, humankind it should really live up to it i cannot see why it would violate it and then try to correct it because if it's violated it will never be able to correct it so it's about formulating the right problem but uh, let me see if i understand you correctly so let's say you have multiple objectives one can be that you don't want to destroy humankind but then it can be other things and uh, 
I'm not sure if you you're a fan of Asimov's laws or anything, but uh, uh, robotic law of robotics. Yeah. They are the questionable, I, yeah. I would say, as well. But what do you mean? That he prefers to have some kind of uncertainty measure in the objectives you do have and in that way decide what to proceed with and you think we should do it in some other way? Uh, it's not, I'm not saying that it's the one way or the other. It's just that I did not really completely grasp why he thought that having multiple objectives is not enough. This mm. is, so I, I did not... I wasn't couldn't trying to combine, contradict. Couldn't you combine the two and have uncertainty with multiple objectives? Y- you could, but I think according to uh, uh, Professor Russell that uh, it's enough with uh, uncertainty. uncertainty. That's that's my guess. Uh, I like I like your way of approaching things because it's typically always probably combination of things mm. that works. Uh, mm. But if you go back to the podcast, I will try and to pinpoint it's not it was more like a question but he was really insisting on well he was trying to be more dogmatic here no, he was really, this is this, this is, is the way this is the way to do it this is the way yeah <laughs> but just you know i think it's interesting philosophical question so i think uh, it could be worth to just dive a bit deeper into this question and let's be concrete let's take some specific example um, let's take uh, i know you worked with um, truck platooning and things like that. And uh, yeah, self-driving cars comes naturally then. And let's say you have two objectives. You want to get you know quickly from point A to B. And then you have another objective of not uh, killing your driver or passenger or people around you or something. And, and, and then you have these two objectives. What would you say is... Okay, let me speak in terms of Russell. <laughs> and I probably paraphrase him a lot. But uh, please disagree with me if you can. So then we can choose to have, let's say, two objectives. One, be safe. Secondly, be fast. Right? Let's make it very simple. Two objectives. Fastly going from point A to B and safely not killing anyone. And then we, we want to still reduce it to a single loss function in some way, in a single objective at least, because, because we have to make an objective choice in the end. And that means having a single objective. Right? Please disagree if, if you don't agree so yeah, far. Sure, go ahead. Um, and then uh, the question more becomes, you know, okay, how do you choose between the two objectives you have, those safe and fast, so you can combine it to a single objective of what, of what action to take, to break or to you know, hit the gas, <laughs> I guess, in, in this case. Um, and, and then if you include some kind of confidence measure for the two objectives, and combine them into a single objective with the confidence measure for the action you should take, wouldn't that still be the best way to go? Could be. So this is, um, it's hard to, uh, to, to, to argue um, because you need to define, I mean, we know that defining these things mathematically is very hard. Mm. So... Are oh, you thinking like Pareto optimization kind of things with two objectives and finding the optimal I mean, one? I mean, Pareto optimization is is one way to handle multiple objectives, um, mm. but it's not necessarily the way you want to do it. But mm. it's definitely one way of doing it. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is actually how would uh, Russell model exactly this problem? Mm. Um, I don't. I mean, because the multiple objectives are so natural here that uh, I think is unavoidable. But I think what he is referring to 
is not multiple objective problems in general. What he's referring to is how to make AI uh, learn the right things from humans and avoid, you know, doing bad things. And he says the only way is that you introduce uncertainty because it will always need to revise his decisions. Mm. And and you think he's thinking that from a Bayesian point of view of like level of knowledge that you have, or what's uh, I think so. At least from the papers that I read, it was uh, really from a reinforcement learning point of view. Mm. So you have uh, basically a, a process with states, and there's an objective that you want to uh, 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 optimize. And what you have is that you have a collaborative problem. You have mm. the agent, like say the human and you have the AI, uh, both try to optimize the same objective, but they're working together. So the human uh, in, uh, in the loop knows exactly what the objective is. Mm. The AI does not, does not know what the objective is. So it has to observe the human to learn from the human what the objective is and learn from it. Mm. So but the... And the human introduces uncertainty yeah. all the time, so the AI does not converge to one decision. It will need to really uh, update its decisions all the time. That, mm-hmm. So that's the idea. Yeah. But yeah, okay. I have a hard time to understand what your objection to that is. No, I, I have. No, I have no <laughs> objection. I have no objection to that. Uh, again, uh, what I was uh, uh, also uh, suggesting that. If he thought that also thinking of the problem as a multi-objective optimization uh, problem, if that would uh, help. Uh, of course, when I suggest that, that's because something that I work with. Mm. And I, I thought it would be interesting to get his attention. Mm. Uh, of course, uh, in this particular example, I failed because he still thought that uh, uh, having uh, the problem as a multi-objective reinforcement learning problem uh, would not solve the problem. At least if you have a like, single point estimates for each objective, right? I, I, I mean, if you have two different objectives, I mean, uh, we want to uh, uh, m- minimize uh, the, uh, the, the fighting or the war, number of wars in the world. At the same time, we don't want to destroy uh, humankind. Mm-hmm. I feel this is a discussion we should have after the podcast. But <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, you have to leave. But I, I could uh, dive much deeper into this discussion. <laughs> I would be I happy to, uh, but, to, uh, okay. to have it over dinner or a beer. <laughs> cool. And, and, and I'd just like to continue the podcast uh, theme a bit more. And uh, you mentioned a number of podcast people. Joe Rogan, of course, is the premier and most, you know, uh, I guess the person that makes the most money, at least, of podcasting today in the world. And Lex Friedman is one of the, the, the top AI uh, Top AI podcasters, I guess. And there's a lot of other, like Eric Weinstein and uh, Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro. Do you have like a favorite podcaster that you follow and, and really admire and try to perhaps see as a role model in some way? Inspiration. Um, I mean, I'm, I don't listen to many uh, podcasts, to be uh, honest. Uh, you know, I told you that I have been, uh, you know, fall, you know, uh, playing with stocks a little bit. So mm. actually, I have followed uh, 
some uh, more business uh, podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is um, Mad Money. Okay, yeah. I'm not I've, say- I've seen Mad Money. Yeah, I've seen Mad Money. Yeah, so but it's, it's that's random. It's yeah. I mean, it's one of the popular. Oh, he's uh, pretty big in America. Uh, yeah, it's, he's big. Yeah. I'm not saying that. So, so okay. I'm not saying that he's so good or oh, this is something that I listen to. But it is an easy way to get news. He tells you about what's happening. You listen. I work, you know, at home with my computer, and I just you know having radio in the background and uh, uh, getting some information. Actually, sometimes I probably miss half of the episode yeah. because I'm focused on uh, on you know the work mm-hmm. I do. But uh, I think when I started to. Uh, to listen to podcasts before starting iPod then because I wanted to to know what is what a podcast. Is pod- so I, I got a, a, a tip from a friend about listening to Framgångspodden mm-hmm. in Swedish. And I thought actually, I, I really, yeah, uh, I really listened to several episodes because I thought it was very interesting guests. I did that. But then, you know, I got tired and stopped uh, So what did you like about it, and what did you get fed up with, if like this? Because yeah. he's one of the biggest podders, influencers in Sweden in this sure. in this sort of space. Uh, I like the uh, the you know people telling about their lives, you know how they got interesting. Guests. Exactly, you know, it's about it's about success, right? Mm-hmm. How do they get there? That that's definitely an interesting uh, uh, story. Uh, but then it's different. I mean, some. I'm not saying that there are some guests that are more interesting than others, but it could be like some guests are more interesting to me than others. Mm. So I think I think he lost me after you know some uh, guests, and I you know uh, he, he lost me as yeah, yeah. A, as a listener. And uh, yeah, I'm always interested in you know to hear about you know people how they uh, you know got there. Like for instance, now I uh, started to listen to the podcast. Uh, uh, what's called the Nobel Prize something, and they interview Nobel Prize winners. That's cool. I haven't, I haven't I missed yeah. that one. Yeah, I, this sounds you know it sounds very interesting with all these Nobel Prize winners telling about their stories. And this is the kind of stuff that. Uh, interests me so it's, it's uh, you know a topic that uh, mm. you know falls within my field of interest and so one thing is of course the guests and, and that's perhaps the most important part uh, of different podcasts but do you as a professional podcaster yourself have any principles or you know ways that you prefer to be as a podcaster um so again uh, I don't know if I'm professional. I'm probably. Ah, you are. <laughs> uh, of course, you are. Uh, ba- based on your track record now in Sweden, <laughs> you 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 belong to the elite. Oh. We think so. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. One of the podcasting elites in business podcasts for oh, sure. Wow, that's. Uh, we think so. Okay. Okay, thank you. I uh, never thought of uh, the podcast uh, this way. Uh, no, actually, so the, so the principles are: uh, first of all, it should not have a commercial. Uh, flavor. I actually I have stopped a guest saying this is like reading a commercial. Mm. Yeah, you should not have sales people yeah. doing. Not a sales. You don't want a sales. Yeah, pitch. exactly. No, that guy was not sales. Uh, But uh, he did still did a sales pitch. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, that was actually. Uh, I got annoyed. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. 
it was yeah i i reacted in in a way i could not control it uh, mm. uh, it wasn't like that tough but it was very firm and yeah, yeah. decisive this is like a, this is this is like reading a commercial this is not interesting uh, so this, that's one of your key sort of uh, where you come from as a principle. Yes, I'm a, yeah. So this is this cannot happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we're talking about an interesting topic. There are so many things. To, I mean, I ask them to talk about their projects. Mm-hmm. What's new in their products? Is I mean, that's interesting, and they could good, uh, get good attention or publicity for that. But not. Oh, we are a company with X thousand people. This is not. But this is interesting because I, I, I kind of we have had uh, guests here who is working on really cool stuff, right? And like, like we showed your cool stuff now. But I think this is different. You're not pitching us on what you're trying to do, but we are still very keen to un- try to understand what's the value and the problem you're trying to solve. So if someone is smart, you can, you know, sell in, you know, in quotation marks, you can explain what, you, what your passion is all about, what your value is all about. Mm-hmm. That, to us, to me, that is okay. But that's okay. I mean, if, I mean, but that's exactly what I tell them. I mean, what is... What's the t- problem you're solving? T- exactly. Tell, tell us what, uh, what ca- tell us about cases where you really found AI been very uh, helpful. To share. Uh, it's, I mean, it's right to the point, but n- not general stuff. Uh, we are, you know, using this, use our system. As a, you can say, yes, we are solving this with AI. This is, you know, oh, this is cool. And actually you can tell many interesting stories. Yes. I think just actually now you're mentioning that I really did not think about this was as a, a pitch because I really thought these are really cool uh, uh, solutions based on machine learning. So, so, so to, to the outside... It could be like, oh, come on, this is a sales pitch, just just the other sales pitch. But to me, it's a huge difference. It actually, uh, I, I, I would have respect for people who would think that, uh, definitely. Uh, but uh, if you take my word for it, I really did not think actually about it this way. I just uh, wanted to, to share uh, you know, these, yeah. uh, these ideas, uh, because uh, yeah. it's something I've been working with, like for two years, yeah, of, of course. course, at some point I want to share it. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. What, uh, and, and, and besides that, I mean, there are different ways of conducting yourself. So it's one thing, you know, what the guests are and how they speak. Do you have any like thoughts about how you should act as an interviewee or interviewer? So mm-hmm. Um, so I typically ask people for feedback and, uh, of course they say you're excellent. It's good the way it is. I don't believe that. Mm. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, maybe I think, uh, people appreciate that. I let the uh, guests speak more than I do. Uh, I think that, uh, that do people appreciate, but actually a very close friend, he has given me, uh, uh, feedback, uh, on a couple of things. Uh, one, he said the episodes are too short. He's an, he's a computer scientist, so I'm not surprised. He said it's too short. And he th- thinks that I should uh, talk more. He says that there's a lot of information that I probably have that could contribute to the episodes related to the guest. But do you see it as you're doing an interview or do you see it as you're having a conversation? Uh, I think the uh, the problem is that I didn't think that much at all. So I'm not, again, I'm not <laughs> trained. 
I'm not a media person. Mm. Uh, and I was asking for feedback, really. Uh, I was like, help me, tell me, how, how should I do this? I said, oh, this is very good. Uh, so uh, I realized now it would maybe have been more fun to have a conversation rather than I was trying to put the guest in the middle mm-hmm. so they get all the attention. I should not be in the picture. Maybe I sh- clarified some stuff to the listener if there's a, a terminology or you know technical term. Uh, but other than that, I was trying not to be visible, which is maybe part of my personality that to give people space. Yeah. When it's my time, it's my time. But when it's some other person's, uh, uh, I think uh, it's good to give them some space. And in the beginning also, I think there are many uh, of the guests who were nervous. Yes. Because, uh, okay, here I'm talking to uh, a researcher within a field. And they were really, I could see they're nervous or they could tell me right away. And uh, that was, you know, my way by being more, you know, just pulling back a little bit and give them space was also part. A way to make them relax. Yeah, of the, uh, yeah, of the trick. But uh, there are many ways. You can, you can. There's no right or wrong. I mean, you can tell, but I mean, you can let people tell their story. You can uh, have a talk. I don't know what's, what's more interesting. Uh, I think both could be interesting, but I'm definitely not putting effort in that sense. We don't have manuscript, for instance. Nothing is planned beforehand. Not even, I mean, they asked about a list of questions in the beginning, then I had to put them together, but now I just insist that there are there is no list of questions. What's your thinking about the interruption? I mean, I'm personally a person that gets annoyed when I get interrupted and I try to minimize the time I interrupt other people. And I love to interrupt. Yes, so it's very different people here. Uh, what's your feeling? Do you l- anno- get annoyed when you get interrupted? Uh, by the way, I did not, you have not interrupted <laughs> All the me. time. I'm interrupting no. you all the time. And you I'm, think so? I'm, I'm filling you in all the time. I don't, I, this I don't, is I like don't feel a, it that way. It's like you're talking, you have a commentator, right? You haven't m- mentioned? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm a sports commentator to what you're saying. I have not, I, no, I have not noticed that. I do it naturally. I can't help myself. I have not noticed that. I oh, think that's great. Thank I think you. it's interesting. Then you have, uh, I think you have a, a conversation. Uh, but um, I mean, I think no one likes to be interrupted. In general, I mean, I think as simple as that, because when you get interrupted, your, uh, uh, you know, line of thoughts get interrupted Mm. Uh, and uh, you could, you know, okay, what was I talking about? So that's uh, as simple as that. Cool. I see the time is flying away. We have like 20 minutes, but we have a number of topics that I'd love to try to cover, by the way. So should we try to have a number of topics now, and, but try to keep them rather short? <laughs> so let's see if we can be disciplined on this. Uh, and Goran is laughing now because we, we usually we, we fail usually on this. We usually crash on these. Yeah. Let's be sp- speed dating. is not our deal. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, Let, we have a number of topics. So, so let's try to let's go. cover as many as we can. And, and Ten minutes so 10 minutes five. per topic, five, five. five. Okay, f- wow, now okay. we're gonna go down into the whole, now we're really doing YouTube five minute clips, good. <laughs> okay, let's touch one topic first that uh, we mentioned a number of times, and, and that is control theory versus like machine learning. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend myself um, that was uh, doing my, yeah, his PhD at the same time as mine, and he was in control I'm, theory. I'm measuring the time. <laughs> and. Uh, 
And then we had a number of discussion. And, and in some view, and, and I can give my view first, and lo- I'd love to hear your reaction to that. But in some way, people in control theory think that machine learning in some way is very much a trial and error kind of science, or not even science at some point, more like engineering, perhaps some people call it. And I'm not really modeling by theoretical, mathematical way how things work. Instead, just you know, trying to fit data to some kind of model and, and basically do trial and error. And they a bit think that's not very beautiful. Would you agree? Uh, I definitely disagree. Awesome. Okay. Can you elaborate? Yes. Uh, actually, I was thinking uh, you would say that people uh, within the field of uh, control theory uh, think that machine learning is just uh, a, a sub-field uh, of control theory. So no, 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 because it, it could be the other way. It, it's yes. like, but what is funny, I think, uh, so I've been in academia uh, uh, for a while and so uh, has Anders been, uh, everyone, you know, uh, look at a certain f- uh, field from its own perspective, and they all say, oh, "But this is just part of my field." Mm-hmm. So uh, it's so. I mean, I've seen it many times, and uh, it's not true. And uh, it's not true that it's. Uh, it's. Uh, I mean, it's trial and error because. I mean. <laughs> We have non-convex optimization problems. So when you train these algorithms, you could get different models every time. So that's that's the reason. But if you really would search over the entire space, you would find good solutions. And it is it's as systematic as 40-year series or whatever, because also specific structure and you try to fit parameters. I mean, this fitting thing is nothing new. And this is what we've been doing in, in science. So I disagree. Actually, this ba- uh, database model, I think it has just added a new dimension because, yes, uh, if we know everything about the physical world, if we can put everything in physical equations, that's great. But the world is very complicated. So it cannot be as simple and beautiful as, you know, simple yeah. equations. I remember at uh, NeurIPS in 2016, I met with an energy physicist and he says that uh, all the energy physicists are getting crazy because uh, the models based on neural networks are outperforming all the mathematical models that they had. Exactly. Mm. So, so... It, but it, it tells it, you something, right? Yeah, so it's... Uh, it's a rethink that needs to be done. Yeah, so it's definitely uh, uh, uneducated uh, comments, I would say. Wouldn't you also perhaps agree then that uh, if you heard about AlphaFold 2, it's, it's just released by DeepMind. Um, so AlphaFold is about this protein folding thing where you map the, the amino acids uh, sequences into some kind of 3D structure. And uh, they had the first version and it barely you know, could compete with the physical modeling or the biological way of simulating basically how you calculate these kind of foldings or map it to a 3D structure. And now suddenly this version 2 came up that uh, went from like 50% accuracy to 83 or something and completely overtook anything else that you can do by trying to basically simulate a physical or biological world and, uh, and open up for so many use cases and finding, you know, the medicines and whatnot. 
So I think you know these are a typical example of even though it may not be beautiful from a mathematical point of view, it may be super useful at least. Right? I mean. I think it's beautiful in a sense that if you look at the theory behind it and it's very well structured. I think the part that does make it a little bit ugly and messy is again that's that's the uh, the un- the non-convexity uh, of the problem uh, again. But I mean it's uh, I mean you look at the math behind neural networks they're universal approximators and mm. you know telling you yeah. that. So th- that is actually a, a, a theory actually if you really follow uh, the theory itself uh, you see that you you make better models. I mean just if you normalize the feature vector just as the theory tells you you get better results if you do not normalize. Mm. That's why we do it in practice. So actually, the theory tells you uh, a lot. So I have to uh, to say that the mathematical bases are really interesting. They are impressive. The things are happening. We are seeing uh, uh, progress. Uh, so I'm a little bit uh, uh, optimistic. I think mm-hmm. we're going to make more and more progress. And this is the way to go. Uh, uh, I think. Uh, I think. But, uh, but is it ultimately a science paradigm? That's like it, the convexity we're talking about that I don't even really understand uh, as a layman. Mm. But but it, to me, what I'm hearing as a layman is a little bit like, well, uh, the world is a messy place. So let's find methods how we do deal with uncertainty and messy things, which is trial and error. But how can we systemize and be super smart with that? So the perfect theorem is a little bit, it took us so far. And the next level is something else, which is more closer to reality. I mean, is, is that wrong? Or? No, I mean, no, I don't think it's wrong. Uh, not at all. Uh, I think that uh, we have, um, you know, many challenges. Uh, it could be that uh, uh, we are out of uh, uh, elegant, short mathematical descriptions. Exactly. I think the more things become complex. I mean, just look at the three-body problem. That is, uh, it's not that, uh, you think it's not that complicated in a sense, but suddenly it becomes more complicated. Just think, you put the things together and it becomes complicated. You need to... And, and we, we had the traveling uh, salesman, salesman, pro- man. salesman problem. And, you know, do we solve it with the perfect mathematical theorem or is it crunching, right? So I have actually have a, a very nice saying by uh, my uh, host professor at MIT, he, he, uh, which actually he also took it from another professor, which is saying that just because the traveling salesman problem is hard to solve, doesn't mean that uh, salesmen stop to travel. <laughs> That's <laughs> actually a very good. Very scenario. good. Okay, let's move to okay, the next topic. Okay, that was not five minutes, by yeah. the way, guys. Yeah. So, <laughs> so another comment. Um, there is this um, famous person called Jeffrey Jeffrey Howard. That uh, he, I think he was the president for Kaggle at some point, and uh, I think now he's a founder of Fast AI and and, uh, and this very popular website. And he made a statement saying that most research in deep learning is a complete waste of time. And just to give some context to that, uh, what I at least uh, you know, interpret his, you know, the reason for him saying that is it, in deep learning today, it's a lot about chasing, chasing the leaderboard, about gaining like a half percentage point higher in some kind of accuracy score that you have for whatever kind of prediction task you're trying to solve. And, and this is a big competition between the tech giants, and it's like it's not really practically usable that extreme type of competition for just getting on top of the leaderboard. Would you agree with that? Um, 
maybe it's a little bit harsh to ex express it that way, uh, but I definitely think that uh, the the way research is conducted is a little bit along this direction, which I don't think is uh, that interesting. I mean, see all these new architectures mm. of uh, you know neural networks, and uh, it works uh, better. Uh, I'm a little bit uh, maybe careful with such uh, statements. I think that we have, I think most people agree that we have reached a level of saturations when it comes to deep learning. I think one, one thing is try to find new ways to use it. So applications, I think that's interesting. Like mm -hmm. AlphaFold now most mm -hmm. recently. Try to see, you know, uh, things within... Uh, we have covered NLP, we have covered computer vision. Why why can't we cover other problems? Yeah, exactly. So just find interesting uh, applications. And then I th in my opinion, the next step is to, st to start to understand deep learning better and construct uh, uh, algorithms where the training is efficient. You do not need to, to spend so much uh, unsupervised energy, stuff. or exactly, mm. or it's not spending too much energy. We need to uh, understand how maybe find some architectures that are still optimal. But you know that when you converge, this is the optimal solution. If you do not converge, mm -hmm. then there is no solution, etc. You know, mm. along these lines. I think these are the interesting, but these are the hard problems. Uh, but how does that relate back to your your little bit cynical comment around how we are chasing ink to paper in Sweden if you compare a little bit like... Oh, they, they, they it's the same, same thing. Same the same problem, thing. Right? Oh, yeah, the same thing. Yeah, so I mean, like, because getting on the leaderboard, you know, yeah. improving on someone else's research, it's easy to get published. I mean, by the way, I'm not saying this is a Swedish phenomenon. No, not at all. It is really international phenomenon. It's just that uh, uh, just because uh, we don't need to import everything. I mean, it feels like we import everything from the U.S. I mean, this. I mean, we have definitely imported this uh, way of conducting research from the so, United States. So, so, so back to but, this. Yeah, I think we need to move okay, to the next topic as well. Unless move. you had something. Really oh, now you're on four minutes. That's good. Let's. let's yeah. I, I was just gonna end. The end note would be like, okay, a little bit back to the. To, we we touching this before, but like, what's our recommendation? How can uh, you know? How can we compete at Sweden University from a, from this research point of view? You know, what should we do to that is sort of feasible when we don't have the we don't have the same money as the biggest institutes? But how can we be innovative? I mean, I don't think it's about money. I think it's more about uh, passion and it's about daring and guts. We do have, and then money. we can do sh then we can do enough. Yep. So what what is the advice we should do then? Not not chasing ink in to paper, not not doing you know what Anders yep. is highlighting. What's yeah. that? I mean, uh, I mean, first of all, uh, uh, the uh, in terms of money, uh, we are very well financed. I mean, it's it's very good uh, uh, system that we have actually, and I cannot claim that uh, researchers do not have the finances. On the other hand, we need to. Uh, promote more uh, risky uh, research and do not really so you cannot just judge uh, uh, based on the number of publications you need to really start to look at the content the real what's the value of the problem what's the, what's the usefulness what's the innovation level? i mean i mean really i mean there's no researcher that really has that many impactful uh, papers so quality over quantity. Exactly. But okay. this needs to be read 
I mean, the the way you judge is you need to see what the, these uh, people are uh, uh, contributing. Cool. Okay. And yeah, to move to the next topic. Well, next topic. <laughs> and we touched upon this as well, and we started to speak about reasoning, AGI, and things like this. So if we, you know, how should we do this in five minutes? But okay, let's see. How would you say uh, the difference between the latest type of AI today is compared to the human type of intelligence? Oh, I think we are uh, we are far from having artificial intelligence that can mimic human intelligence. I think actually we touched on on this in the beginning. Is uh, AI is not only about deep learning. Mm. We need to uh, work a little bit on systems that can do some reasoning. Yeah. And uh, are you saying that reasoning cannot be done by deep learning? I'm not so. The th- I don't. So the thing is that I think deep learning uh, is part of it, mm. but it's not the the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I think it would be a combination of, of things, as typically the case. Uh, and would you say that reinforcement learning, in in some way, is a form of reasoning? Um, not necessarily. No, it could be blind, but it is. It's a fe- reasoning as feedback system, and I think that reinforcement learning is also an important to- tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not uh, the the entire thing. Yeah. So I think you need to have combination. And there is one more thing. So machine learning is about learning from data. I don't think that we are uh, really doing uh, the job required because. Think about uh, us humans. We take impressions, you know, beyond numbers. So there are many things uh, that need to be fed into a system. This was interesting coming from a mathematician. Beyond numbers, what's beyond number numbers? Yeah. So it's so it's it's not only you no know, measurements. You, you need. I mean, how do you? I mean, you probably. I mean, at the end of the day, probably you would uh, translate emotions to numbers in a yeah. way. Uh, but what I'm saying is not only like you know simple measurements. There's more like human attributes that you need to uh, take into account, and uh, uh, and they can't be expressed in numbers. Or I mean, just to give you an example. So one of my favorite examples is that okay, you want to teach uh, an AI to recognize an animal. Mm-hmm. You talk about dogs and cats, but I like to talk about horses. And I give give you pictures uh, of horses. Okay. A whole horse, mm-hmm. but actually, if you look at the back of the horse, so half the horse, not the entire. You look at the back, you know it's a horse. Mm-hmm. You look at the front, you know it's a horse. But it's these completely different uh, uh, pictures, in a sense, mm-hmm. and you basically need to, in a way, interact with the AI to teach it that this is still this is the back of the horse, the front of it. So it's like you talking to a human being, like teaching a child. You need to interact with the system. To teach it, so th- I think we will need to have some kind of system where actually humans uh, teach the uh, AI. And I actually I do believe that this would be one of the uh, 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 the future jobs that we would have. We have people, you know, sitting interacting with AI systems mm-hmm. to teach them to oh, understand you, the world better. Are you a fan of Jan LeCun's kind of uh, theory about you know how the future of AI should be? Speaking, you know, going more and more away from supervised learning toward more self-supervised learning, and then I think the the reinforcement learning is like the 
icing on the cake that he has. Have you seen these kind of metaphors or analogies that he's making? I, I think it's uh, you know uh, you know one of the common uh, uh, attempts uh, towards how you know we free ourselves from uh, being dependent on data. Uh, and uh, reinforcement learning still is about data. It's, I mean, it's just that you collect it in a different way. You think about the interaction as a dynamic uh, action rather than, than static. It's not only showing a picture and recognize an object. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's much more than that. And if you want to call it reinforcement learning, that's... Uh, uh, th- th- I think the, the, the main thing he's promoting is trying to get away from supervised learning and only using unsupervised learning or potentially self-supervised learning. Yes. I mean, I mean, what's the difference? You need the data anyhow. I mean, if it's reinforcement learning, yeah, but then you need some kind of reward at least. Y- you but you need, don't do that for uh, un- unsupervised or self-supervised. I mean, the thing is, even with the object recognition, you can describe it as an RL problem. Where well, it still requires some reward. I mean, that's the y- big difference. Yes, right? the reward. Yes, but the reward is uh, so okay. So it's called reward, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, the inverse of it is a cost. The same thing. You just have a minus sign as a cost suddenly. Sure. So it's the same thing uh, when uh, when you do prediction, you minimize an objective, and that's mm-hmm. the error. So that's what I'm saying. It, it's I uh, wish we had a half an hour more too, because <laughs> I, I think this could be a very interesting discussion yeah. to just deep uh, dig a bit deeper into. But let me uh, okay in 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 the manner of actually speaking more, uh, I can give my few views on the difference between the human brain and, and deep learning at least, and let them know what you think about this. So I think there are a number of things that differs. One is that the human brain, of course, is online. You know, we continuously learn and train all the time, and deep learning is usually very batch-oriented, and we train once and then use it. We can you know, retrain it a couple of times, but it's very different from the un- online type of learning that the human brain has. The other thing is plasticity, basically saying that the architecture of the brain and how the synapses connect in neurons change over time. And uh, neural networks does not, unless you use the kind of neural, neural architectural search, and these have new techniques, but normally they don't. And that's a big difference, I would say. And then, of course, we have the reasoning and the generality that humans has that uh, deep learning does not today. Would you agree with those statements? Um, so I, I think this could very well be uh, correct, and it's uh, probably also part of the the story. Um, I don't know. Uh, to be honest, I mean, I, I try to avoid uh, philosophical questions. Uh, mm-hmm. I typically, I think, every, uh, think that everything is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, y- y- you need to be open to all of kind of ideas because you don't know if and when uh, the, you know a specific idea is the right one. Mm-hmm. But you need you need to interact with people in order to have learned yeah. different ideas, and you probably apply the right one at the. Right time, but I mean, I think what you're saying is, I mean, this is how uh, neural networks is inspired from the human brain, and we need to learn from it. So yeah. you're saying that actually, uh, when we learn stuff, we forget stuff. There are things that are changing in our brain, and this is something that we probably need to mimic. Yeah. I mean, the, so that's what I'm saying. Is I think most likely it's part of the uh, of the solution. Uh, and it's definitely worth uh, an attempt. Mm. 
And I think we just have a few minutes. So I'm trying to choose the, the last topic we should do. And I, I can think, you know, one is the, the AI divide, you know, the difference between the tech giants and the rest of the world. It could be something about singularity and when AGI happens, it could be something perhaps about patents, pros and cons. I know you have a number of patents as well. Which one of those three would you choose to? The first one, I think it's uh, something the that... AI divide. Mm? Uh, yeah, uh, because I think it's a big problem. Uh, it's a big problem because, I mean, we have uh, in general uh, a big challenge uh, with regards to big tech. And we know it's about the, the FANG companies. Yeah. And actually Tesla is joining uh, now. now. Now actually it has been changed uh, from FANG uh, to a fat man <laughs> where, <laughs> where, where the G instead of Google is now A as an alphabet. A fat man. Uh, yeah. So um, a fat man now with the Tesla joining the, yeah, so yeah. these big <laughs> six big uh, companies. And uh, it is, I think it's a challenge. Politicians try to, you know, trying to figure out how to deal with it. And if they, you know, p you know, have all the power about the AI, uh, you know, brain power and mm. the technology in the future, uh, I mean, if you do not realize that this is a problem, then you're missing something. Yeah. So you would say that the, the big tech, tech giants are far ahead from the rest of the world? Like, how, how many years ahead would you estimate them to be? Compared to um, so first of all, they have a lot of data that even like researchers at universities don't have. Uh, I mean, let's uh, not uh, forget that, uh, uh, you know, neural networks were developed by uh, professors are still academic. Mm. But then this is the fun, you know, this is the fundamental research, which is great. But beyond that, you know, it has been total control by a few uh, companies and universities are definitely behind. Now, a guy like uh, Benjo has decided that he needs to stay at the university mm. because he needs to make so, sure that the talent also stays in academia. So he made a decision. Uh, uh, that's great. But in general, it's hard to keep uh, people when they offer... Four uh, times, five times. Five, not only salary, we give you a research team. Every yeah. don't need to think about anything. I mean, I've been to Google. I've been to DeepMind. I mean, oh my God, it's really amazing places. I never thought that I could see uh, research places that are better than the top universities in the U.S. But I definitely see that. Mm. Uh, it's uncomparable. So, so, so you have a motivation on so many levels why you want to work there. Yeah. So uh, I think that uh, it's uh, it, it needs to come from you know at the state level. They uh, the politicians need to understand that uh, these people are not only researchers. It's like uh, uh, even probably even you know big companies other than the big tech companies probably should help to build, uh, uh, I don't know, such a research center where uh, they attract uh, people as a counteract to uh, these big tech companies. So that's the best way to try to solve it? I, I, don't, I'm, I don't know if it's the best way, but it's definitely a way to solve it. And how would you describe why is the AI divide a bigger problem than maybe some people recognize? I'm like, I think all of us who's in the industry and starts really understanding this and sees this is the, the this is the new rich and poor. This is the this is the segregated uh, 
world, but on a much, much grander scale, much more extreme than what we've ever seen. How would you, how, what, why do you think it's so scary? Um, I think it's scary because uh, information is power yeah. and uh, they have so much information about uh, us and then they have this intelligence system that can do uh, so many things that we cannot figure out. So they will be ahead miles Uh, from us and you will never be able to catch up doesn't matter and what's they, the consequence they, of this to, uh, to the, the I think the consequence would be uh, is simply that you get uh, uh, y- you know uh, money centered around uh, uh, some companies that probably outperform even countries I think the uh, um, is it Google whose revenue was bigger than India's or something. Uh, it, sure. it was it was something like that. I mean, you can look it up. Uh, Amazon has uh, a larger GNP than uh, many big countries. Yeah, so it's, so it's, and you know, you know, you know that in Amazon it has certain reputation about uh, uh, how it's treating the, its employees, etc. So it's not, I don't think it's, uh, it's a good thing that is... Uh, Yeah, coming out of it. I mean, it's certainly a big problem. And I remember when I was at DeepMind and they basically asked the question, why don't you patent? And they said, or, or why do you publish, you know, all your models and all the, the articles and, and the data and the code and everything? And I said, well, you know, at the time we actually get the publication out and we have the code out, we're, you know, two, three years ahead. And we are so, we are already on version two or three behind that. So, you know, good luck trying to catch up with us. <laughs> And yeah, that's a dangerous story, I think. Yeah. Yep. Cool. I think we need to start to round, round up, up a bit. Yeah. And um, uh, ask the first, like, uh, or one of the last questions, I guess. What's next in your life, Atto? Mm. It's actually a very big uh, question. I take it one step uh, at a time. Uh, especially with the, these times, I'm trying not to mention COVID. <laughs> uh, but we actually but, didn't talk so much about COVID. Today. But but yeah, that was uh, that was very good. Uh, I was trying to avoid it. But um, the truth is that uh, uh, as I describe it, uh, life is going in slow motion. That's how, that how it feels mm. uh, for me, at least. And of course, you, I have you know stopped by a little bit and thinking about you know what I want to really do in in life, and you know. Giving me some. Uh, Who are going to be when you grow up? Uh, exactly, clear uh, <laughs> pinpointers. But I think research within AI is very interesting. Uh, frustrated about. Uh, uh, I don't think that we do have um, the uh, uh, the right. What do you call it? Um, We don't have what is needed to really uh, pursue uh, great AI research. Uh, the right ingredients is, is in the really, soup. Yeah, I mean, it's, not, it's a lot of things. I mean, you know, you need you need to have uh, momentum in Sweden. I know, Anders, that you don't like that people are criticizing. You still feel like there are things uh, happening. Uh, I don't 
So Th this is the after I, after work I, I, discussion yeah, we need yeah, to I have. I don't share the same feeling. So that that's annoying a little bit. And, and but 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 what I'm happy about that actually I'm doing other stuff at least where you know more like uh, applied. Uh, uh, you have some stuff. exciting things stuff, you yeah, want to so put that, in production, right? This now. is actually this is this is uh, to put that in production. This is organized. what excites. Yeah, this that's is what cool. exactly. So this is really what excites me uh, mm -hmm. at least in the short run. Sounds good. And when does it? Uh, when will we see it uh, in in the flesh uh, in in the so wild? So hopefully, uh, sometime uh, next year. You know, by the summer, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And when will you start chasing people for your big dream, uh, in terms of uh, support? Oh uh, well, next year. Uh, it's uh, well. I think it's maybe in March or something. Uh, it would be. Uh, Reasonable time. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> cool after. Anyone that you would recommend us to have on this show? Oh, I guess you would like to have someone that uh, could come to the studio. Yes. And, yes. Um, so uh, probably not American. But. Yes. Um, here in Sweden, uh, there are probably... Uh, a couple of people. I would say uh, Kalle Åström would be interesting because uh, he has been working at Computer Vision uh, for a Is long time. He's at He's at Lund. Lund. Lund University. And uh, I think he is a good speaker. I think he does interesting research and uh, I would definitely recommend him. Kalle mm. Åström. Kalle Åström, cool. yes. And mm -hmm. that I would say, and hopefully, I don't know, if we manage to have this uh, uh, AI day, uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure that uh, you'll have uh, several interesting uh, guests that you would like to interview. Yeah, so, yeah, so we would do a keep, co collab. Keep, yeah, so I think you should keep track of it. I mean, as soon as we open up, we'll probably have. This is the same mm -hmm. AI day as we were. I, I was part of that, I think, as well. It, it was when exactly we planned that. to have Smituber coming, right? Who? Smituber? Smituber. Uh, the LSTM guy. Um, ah, doesn't matter. Who was oh, the main I, stars that uh, you didn't get in but, April? But, but that was probably before, because the AI day was even before my time at Rise. Uh, okay. Probably. So we were planning to have an AI day in the beginning of this year. Uh, as well, I think Rice was organizing it. I thought that was what you mentioned, uh, uh, but okay. Yeah, that, that was the one. So if you look down, you can <coughs> see probably my name uh, as the chair or something. Oh. Yeah, but do you have some yeah, nice see, names yeah. like yeah, Stephen right. Boyd? Yeah, yeah. I Tom mean these Yacola. are I mean these are really uh, 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 giants within the field. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I was. I mean, we've been working on this for a long time, and. Uh, you know, when COVID came, that was really... <laughs> yep, changed the world in so many ways. Definitely, yeah. that's for sure. Hmm. Well, we have so many more topics. Uh, it's been a true pleasure um, to have you here. I hope we have some more opportunities in the future to, to discuss more. And uh, I wish you could have stayed for the after after work as well, because uh, it's a lot of other discussions I wish we could have. Thank you. Yeah, I would be more, more than happy. I mean, I would be happy yeah. to uh, come back. And uh, we should definitely have the... Uh, the after after work yes. uh, discussion at another uh, yeah. occasion, and we are we are always waiting here when we can have a true AI after work, where all the guests who has been here, we have an after work everyone together, and we can do you know, but we need to be so we can have a 
the whole guest list at once. Like that would be super cool. Well, really cool really party. Cool. Yeah. Really cool party. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, we're gonna go that go that way as soon as COVID allows us. Cool. Thank you very much. Have a great evening. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me. Cheers. Great pleasure. Thank you.